last week. And Ephesians chapter 2 was explaining this idea that I was explaining to you as the doctrine of the gospel for the church. The gospel for the church. So it's not that there are two gospels, one for you and one for the church, but it's this idea in a nutshell. If Christ restores your relationship with God, he also restores your relationship with other Christians. So as your vertical relationship is fixed, horizontal relationships are fixed. The most important relationship in your life is that you would be united with God, which our sin has destroyed that. So Christ has come to solve that, but it goes way beyond just your salvation. In the same way that God fixed you and created an eternal relationship with you, he's also given you the ability to be united with other people. And as we learned from Ephesians 2, united with people who are incredibly different from you, incredibly different from you. And this is a foundational understanding of the church, that you would be united with other people who you have almost nothing in common with. Even if you're a Christian youth now and you're friends with another Christian youth, the idea is that if your personalities were totally different and your cultures were totally different and all your interests were totally different, because you're united with Christ... You can be united with each other on a way deeper and more impactful level than any other community in the world. This is the idea of the gospel for the church. And we can sum up that by looking at the last two verses that are after what we covered last time. So what we covered last time in Ephesians 2 was verses 11 to 16. So let's look very quickly at verses 17 and verses 18, which say this. And he, that is Christ... Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, that is Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So those two verses sum up a lot of what we covered last time. And that idea of preaching peace is the gospel. So Christ himself has come to us, revealed the truth, in the gospel and has united you with God and each other regardless of where your relationship with Christ was at before. Remember last week we learned Jews were people who were part of God's people. They grew up learning about God and Gentiles were people who had never heard about God and lived a pagan lifestyle and served other gods. A good illustration correlation is it doesn't matter whether you were homeschooled or grew up in the church Or if you've never set foot in a church building in your entire life and neither of your parents are Christians, both people have the exact same opportunity to believe in Christ by accepting the gospel and be united with other people. So that's how absolutely transformative the gospel is, whether you are far off or whether you are near. Both of you, according to verse 18, have the same access to God by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself unites the two of you together. Now, let's look at the next verse, 19, which is where we're going to settle for the next couple of weeks. Verse 19 says this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The next two weeks, what I want to cover with you guys 
is this idea of identity. There is a way that you need to think about yourself as a believer in Christ and a way that you think about the people who are in the church. I want to look at the next two weeks at two different words and do a little bit of a New Testament survey of those two words so that you would see how dramatic it is to be part of the church. The two words he uses here are this. Number one, citizens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. That's the first word. And the second word is family. And that word is suggested by this idea of being members of the household of God. Citizens and family. Today we're going to deal with this idea of being a citizen. I want you to identify, if you are a Christian, that as a member of the church, you are a citizen. Now, as you can see on your worksheets, I'm going to give you a statement that we will walk through before we make a couple observations about this idea of being a citizen and why that's important. If you look at your worksheets, this is the statement. The church are people who are citizens. And this is what that means. They are part of a new world, which is not of this world, and yet for this world. They are part of a new world, which is not of this world, and yet for this world. Three little statements in one statement. I want to walk through each one of them to help you understand why a citizen is a chief identity marker as a believer and why that affects the church. So let's do the first one. This is the idea. Being a citizen means being part of a new world. So raise your hand if this idea of citizen is a word you've heard before, right? Good. Now, I'm not going to test you, but keep your hand raised if you think you could come up with an idea of what a citizen means. I'm not going to test you. So if you raise your hand, I'm not going to call on you. There you go. See more hands come up when you know I'm not going to test you. So you guys kind of know what a citizen is, right? It involves being a person who lives in a certain place and identifies with that area, right? One way you could say it is you are an official part of the community uh, that you're in. So almost all of you, I would say, are citizens of the United States. Most of you guys know I am a citizen of the Commonwealth of Canada, right? I don't think it's a Commonwealth. The Commonwealth of Canada, right? And there are two ideas, at least, with this idea of being an official part of that community that are going to be important for our discussion. This is the first one. Being a citizen means there's an authority in your life that affects how you live. There's an authority in your life that affects how you live. So if you are a citizen of the United States, there are certain rules you need to follow. If you are driving down the street when you are older or if you already have your license, there's a speed limit and you must follow that as a citizen. Um, if you are going to own property, you have to follow a certain amount of laws. Uh, when you are all adults, you will have to do this thing called paying taxes and adults love it. It's, they're a big fan of it. And then also... Not just rules are implied in being a citizen, but it also affects the way you live. There are certain things that people in the States as American citizens like. For example, freedom. I hear the word freedom all the time. Now, lots of other countries care about freedom, but there's something about freedom or liberty, as your con uh, constitution says, that matters. Now, many Americans might define freedom differently, but it is something that many Americans would say is quintessentially American, something that defines Americans, right? So the authorities in your life have told you there's certain rules you need to follow 
that affect the way you live. And there's certain virtues, things you love, things you hold onto that affect the way you live. That's the first part of being a citizen, okay? Here's the second part of being a citizen. The second part is you receive certain benefits. You receive certain benefits. Now, many Western societies have certain benefits that are very similar with different countries. For example, libraries, schools, post office, police and firefighters, all sorts of things that are there to benefit you. However, being a citizen entitles you to something different than just being a person who lives there. For example, I am a Canadian citizen. All of the things that I just mentioned, I also am benefited with, even though I'm not an American citizen. But there are many restrictions on what I benefit and what you benefit because of your American citizenship. So for example, I have a very specific category of work that I can do. I have a specific visa that I can only work in this particular church. I have to go through a massively long process for that to change. Uh, I cannot own property here. Um, I have to pay taxes, but there are lots of certain benefits that make me pay less taxes that I don't get entitlement to because I'm not an American citizen. So all of you have certain benefits in America because you're American. Shake your head if you're tracking with me a little bit. Okay, so being a citizen involves an authority that changes your life and benefits because of being a citizen. Those are the two things. Now, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me give you a five-second context. Uh, Philippians is called Philippians because it's written to a church of people in a place called Philippi. If you are from Philippi, you are a Philippian. Not Filipino, Philippian. A little different. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony. So it was part of Rome. So people in Philippi were citizens of Rome. And they loved being citizens of Rome. They ate like Romans. They dressed like Romans. They built cities and towers and buildings that looked like Romans. They loved being Roman. However, even though Paul himself knew and enjoyed the benefits of being in a Roman citizenship, he wanted them to think of a more important identity as a Christian. So if you're in Philippians chapter 3, let me read Uh, To you, verse 17, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame because their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship, notice that, citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul wants Christians to think of themselves as citizens of heaven. Paul wants Christians to think of themselves as citizens of heaven. When we say you are part of a new world as a Christian, we're saying you are part of 
heaven. Now remember five seconds ago, we were talking about what citizenship means, right? So let's go back and apply that to being a citizen of heaven. Number one, being a citizen means there's an authority in your life that has rules for your life and virtues for your life. As a citizen of heaven, who is your authority? Paul says, Jesus Christ. While Paul tells us in other places like Romans that you are to obey the governing authorities of the nation you're in, your ultimate authority is the one who will be your authority in eternity. Does that make sense? You are going to be in heaven forever, which means Jesus Christ now and forever is your Lord. He controls your life. He has rules for your life. And that is not supposed to be something you were just expecting. That's something that applies right now. But the second thing is there are benefits to that. As you know, and as many non-believers know, heaven is a perfect place. Because Christ is not like any dictator that this world has ever known. Christ is a perfect ruler. And when a perfect ruler reigns over a perfect kingdom and invites people to be part of that kingdom, they get to live a life that is better than any other nation on earth could ever offer. There are infinite blessings to being a citizen of heaven and to live a life under Christ. And we could take a whole series of sermons to explain them, but let me at least give you a couple. Number one, citizens of heaven benefit by being able to live in holiness. Holiness is not something forced upon you. Holiness can also be thought of as a benefit given to you as a citizen of heaven. Holiness is not just this idea of being removed from sin, though that is certainly part of it. It's this idea of having pure devotion to Christ before the whole world existed. God, one in essence and three in person, was perfectly devoted to one another, enjoying perfection, and out of that perfection, God created the world. And when Christ comes again and restores the world and fix everything, the greatest joy we are going to have is we will now be perfectly devoted to Jesus Christ. There will be no lesser pleasure or lesser virtue or lesser joy that's going to distract us from the pure joy of being 100% all in with Christ all day, every day for eternity. You'll be removed from sin completely and walk in perfection with Christ. Another way you could say that is a blessing of being a citizen is walking in purity. In the simplest way I can say it, sin sucks. Sin is awful. And one of the greatest joys of heaven isn't just that sin will be removed, but all the darkness that distracted us from perfectly walking with Christ is going to be out of the way. And you will experience a kind of joy that only Christ could purchase for you. It's not heaven that's amazing. It's that heaven is amazing because Christ is there and has made everything that distracts us now in our sight forever. Being a citizen of heaven, being part of a new world, is only experienced in the church. When the church gathers together, they get to experience something that no nation on this earth can offer. And it's supposed to be something that is so amazing that church is no longer something you're forced to go to, but something you're dying to get to. 
And as we'll explain later, it's not because your church is perfect, but it's because your church is full of citizens of heaven. And therefore, your church gives you a taste of heaven. A taste of heaven. I remember leaving this retreat and last retreat and hearing certain people say something about doing music together, singing a song together. And one thing that multiple people have told me both times is, wow, that was like a taste of heaven. Do you understand what they mean? Because all we're doing is singing. The idea is that you get a little bit of a glimpse of what life would be like if we perfectly agreed on things and if we only loved one another and if we didn't care about ourselves to distract us so much from serving one another and if we were actually devoting ourselves fully to the person who's going to fix everything in this world, including us. And when we sing together, we get a little bit of a taste of that. When we feel the joy of that unity, we get a little taste of that. And therefore, being a citizen isn't something you uniquely as a Christian do by yourself. It's something that you experience in its fullness when you gather together on Sundays with other believers. That's really important. Now, second part of this phrase. We need to keep going. The second part of this phrase isn't just that you are part of a new world, but that new world is not of this world. You're part of a new world, which is not of this world. This is what I mean. Colossians, which is a book we've already covered before, says this in Colossians 1, 13 to 14. It says that Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that meant you need to be transferred out of another kingdom. Does that make sense? He says in Colossians that you used to be in the domain of darkness if you were a Christian, but you've been taken out of that kingdom and put into a new kingdom. That was essential for you to be a citizen of heaven. And that domain, that kingdom is described as darkness. Why is that? Well, one reason that is, is because that kingdom is under the influence of Satan. If you want to look up verses later, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, in this section, both explain that this world is ruled by the devil. Now, if you say, well, that's true, why does that seem really obvious? Well, the reason is because of the second reason. This kingdom is one of darkness because we are under the influence of sin. The reason Satan doesn't make all of his schemes obvious is because he wants people to be kept in the domain of darkness. So he makes evil look pleasurable. And we fall prey to it because we're still corrupted people. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, we love sin. And even as Christians, we still are tempted by sin. This is a domain of darkness. Now, what Paul is trying to say in this section of scripture is that you don't have to live like a citizen of this broken, sin-cursed world anymore. I love the way that Paul describes it when he's explaining this to Timothy in Titus chapter 2. And if you want a great verse to explain how Christians change, this is a really good verse. 
Titus chapter 2 says this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So Christians have been given the gospel, and this is what it does. It has trained us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Titus 2, 11 to 13. This is what it's saying. It's not that Christians are forced to live a good life. It's that Christians are able to live a good life. You never used to know how good the good life was because you loved the bad life. That's what he's saying. We used to love ungodliness. We used to love worldly passions. And now in Christ, we don't anymore. And it's because we know how good that future kingdom is going to be. And it's so good that it affects our lives even now. Because even though this world does not look like heaven yet because Christ has not returned, the same king of that world is reigning over the hearts of believers now. He doesn't control their lives. He compels their lives. He changes their lives so that they would do good because they want to do good. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Now, how does that matter for the church? Why does it matter to identify the church as a new world that's not part of the old world? Let me give you a quote from a gentleman named Matt Merker who wrote on the church. He said this, our corporate worship, which means when we come together, it should demonstrate how we're distinct from the world. So the church isn't just full of people who get along, but they're full of people who understand why they belong. They're full of people who don't just agree on facts of the gospel. They've been transformed by the gospel. And that is different from the rest of the world. One reason it's really important they get together is because they need to be comforted. They need to be comforted by the fact that this world does not like the fact that Christians are in a new world. And we'll actually see that in the third part of this phrase. When believers come together, they get to receive that taste of heaven and people who do not wish to be part of heaven do not like that influence. And when believers come together, they are comforted by the fact that even though it is difficult to be in this world and yet not of this world, at least we get to taste heaven together. So it is comforting to be together. But the part that's most comforting is this. Every time believers meet on Sunday, those citizens point each other to the coming kingdom. Many of you guys know Romans 8. Creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. This idea is that this whole creation understands that it's broken and sin curse, and it is waiting for Christ to return and fix everything. And that same pain and impatience almost is happening in the hearts of believers. Because we know that even though it's wonderful to be part of the church together, there's a better world that's coming. And so we remind ourselves, no matter how hard it gets, that world is on its way and it is just around the corner. Paul tells believers that in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 to 11, he reminds us that we are not under God's wrath, we are under salvation, and therefore we must encourage one another and build one another up. We remind each other that heaven is coming, and in our love and service for one another, we give each other a taste of heaven. 
We are not like this world. Now let's quickly get to the third part of this phrase, which is this. We are of a new world, which is not part of this world, and number three, and yet it is for this world. We have this important concept in Christianity, which is called evangelism, which means that Christians don't meet on Sunday mornings and say, if you're not a Christian, do not enter this building. We say, please come in and experience something greater than this world. Each one of us individually goes out of the church every week and we desire to share the gospel with people who have not heard it. And we invite them to see how the gospel transforms a community. Now, how does that connect with citizenship? Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul explains that he is an apostle of the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which means he's a unique messenger to the world that anyone can accept Christ because Christ has died for anyone who would believe in him. Anyone, Jew or Gentile. And he said, even though he has a very unique role in sharing the gospel, Every believer is called to share the gospel. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, this is how he sums it up. He says this, Therefore, we, being all Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As you are a citizen... You are also an ambassador. Paul gives a bit of a spoiler alert about what an ambassador is. He said it's someone who wants to reconcile people, which means he wants people to get together. He wants people to be fixed from something that's broken. Officially, the idea of an ambassador is a citizen who has a unique role of representing their nation, then going to another nation to do diplomatic business. So if I am a ambassador from Canada, I come in the door, I'm covered in red and white, I sing the national anthem, I act very polite as I ride a polar bear, I shake your hand, which is very, very cold, and then I give you a gallon of maple syrup. That would make me an ambassador of Canada. Yeah, obviously a bad example, but the idea is an ambassador is a citizen who represents what their nation cares about, and then conducts business. Every single Christian is an ambassador. You are not only called to represent your nation, which is heaven. You're not only called to represent that nation by doing what people in heaven do now. You are called to invite people to your nation. You are calling them to defect. You are coming and saying your nation will not exist for eternity. Your nation is headed for destruction. But the invitation to our nation is free. Raise your hand if you know what an embassy is. An embassy. Right, so for those of you who don't know, an embassy is an outpost or a building with people from citizens from another country that's in a different country. And one of the big things they do is they issue passports. So if I'm a Canadian citizen, I can go to the LA embassy and I can say, I lost my passport. And what they cannot do is say, I like the cut of your jib. You said, A, you have maple syrup. Here, you have now become a Canadian citizen and you leave. 
and they allow me to go back to Canada. That's not what an embassy does. What they do is they double check that I am already a citizen of Canada, and then they give me a passport to help me get there. Paul is explaining something very, very similar about Christians. None of you can make someone a Christian. Only God can make someone a Christian. But as people are invited into the church who are stuck in this world and they experience this taste of heaven that we get every single Sunday as people love each other and serve each other without any expectation of something from them, just because they love them, because of Christ's love for us, then the Holy Spirit does something in their life. The Holy Spirit brings them from spiritual death to life. And as they gather with the church, as they ask questions, as they are taught and discipled by people in the church, the church eventually verifies, not that they have made this person a Christian, but that God has made them a believer. And then what do they do? They verify a passport. They help them remain faithful so that they would continue to heaven that they would be a vessel that God would use to help them continue to be faithful. So not just to share with them the gospel, but to help and remind them of the beauty of the gospel until Christ returns or we die and go to see Christ face to face. You are a citizen. You are part of a new world, which is heaven. Yet you are in this world. You together gather as a church, if you are a believer, as an embassy that is different from this world. And yet we invite people to come in and see the glory of Christ, that God would save them, and that they would be a part of the kingdom of heaven as well. Now, that's the idea. Took most of our time to get there. But we still need to talk about why this matters for you because this is not just information. You, know, you can't just be a Christian and just be able to describe what being a citizen is. That would not be helpful enough. This is not just data. This is something that we want to affect your life, to actually change your life. Let me start by saying this needs to affect your life for this reason. Part of the reason we're talking about the church is because the world does not care about the church. The world does not care about the church. The world thinks the church is, to use many words, ridiculous. It is outdated. It is not unique. Many communities in this world think that they can do a better job bringing people together than the church can. They think the church is backwards. They think the church is behind the times. And many people will even say they think the church is immoral. And the reality is that sometimes, you might even say often, they actually have good reasons for that. Because you know what? Many churches or so-called churches aren't really churches. And many churches, actually, in fact, every single church is full of what? Broken people, sinful people, people who every single Sunday admit that they're still broken and they're still sinful. So the question is, when the world tells you that the church is useless and broken and irrelevant for your life, how are you going to respond to them? And how are you going to respond to yourself when you have your own doubts, when you look at our church or another church you go to in the future and you see those stains and you see that messiness and you see some of that sin come out? 
What are you going to tell yourself to remind yourself that the church is something special because God said so? Let me give you two quick reminders that have to deal with this idea of citizenship. So you'd remind yourself why the church is so important. Here's the first one. Number one, citizenship is a great privilege. Citizenship is a great privilege. This world loves to talk about privileged people, right? And that can mean a lot of different things. You are privileged because you are middle class, high middle class. You're privileged because you're wealthy. You're privileged because of your race. You're privileged because of your benefits. You're privileged because you have a great education. You're privileged because you can get into a great education or have the ability to. That person's privileged because they have a relationship. That person is privileged because they're married and I'm not. That person is privileged because they have many friendships. There's a lot of different ways that people can describe privilege and all those things are good things. Let me explain to you what the Bible says is one of the greatest privileges you have in the whole world. It's being part of a healthy church. Being a part of a healthy church, God says, is one of the greatest privileges he has given you. The church is not here to force you to be a more moral person. The church is here to show you that the invitation to heaven is free. The church is here to not only be a demonstration of how people can be kind to one another, but a demonstration of the supernatural love of God that was freely given to us, and therefore we can freely offer it to anyone. That's the church. That's why it's a privilege. Now, maybe you say our church isn't very special, though. I've grown up at this church. And I don't think it's that special. The reality is that this church isn't special because everybody here is Jesus. But it's because this church has Jesus. <laughs> no one here needs to pretend to be Jesus. But it's just the fact that we know that Christ has come and died for us and has given us everything we need in his word that we congregate around to learn and it actually changes us and it actually makes us expectant of heaven to come quickly. It's that that is more special than you think it is. Now, one of the reasons you might not think it's special is because this has just been life forever. You've always been in the church this is normal for you. And maybe it seems less special because when you go out into the world and do all sorts of different things, the world is exciting in a way the church doesn't seem to be. But let me say this to you without, I hope, hypocrisy or judgment because any Christian can say they have definitely been here. Let me offer to you the fact that maybe the church doesn't seem special because you love the world. Sin does suck, but sin is exciting because we're broken people. Sin does feel good until it switches the script and shows you that it is enslaving and it controls your whole life. But the church is an institution of people who in their sweet, 
simple, patient way demonstrate to you freedom through Christ every single week. Not because they're amazing, but because we serve an amazing God. Citizenship in this world, in any country, takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of money and a lot of exhaustion. And even though heaven is the greatest nation in the entire world, it costs no time, no effort, no energy, and no money because Christ already paid for all of it. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is a privilege. And you'll experience that if you stop getting your eyes off the world and just think for a second and ask Christ to help clarify to you what is so special about a Sunday morning. That's not a full explanation. That's just a challenge for you. And let me expand on it just a little bit by saying this from J.C. Rao. He said this, Empires have risen and fallen in rapid succession, but the true church of Christ lives on. Fire, sword, prisons, fines, penalties have never been able to destroy it. Weak as the true church may appear to the eye of man, it is an anvil which has broken many a hammer in times past and perhaps will break many more before the end. Why, after 2,000 years, has this tiny, rinky-dinky institution called the church still existed? Because it's God's institution. Very simple people are kept together with an influence to the entire world because Christ protects it. That's an institution I want to be part of. And I want to enjoy it until Christ comes again or I die. And we're talking about it because we want you to too. But let me explain to you the second privilege. The second observation that I want you to have as we talk about why citizenship is so important for you as a youth. The second observation is this. Because being an ambassador is a great honor. Being an ambassador is a great honor. At the end of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul explains that he's an ambassador in chains. And what he means is I am literally in Roman prison because I have been sharing the gospel. I've been representing the kingdom of heaven and telling anyone that they can come in for free. And that costs me my freedom. Ask yourself the question, Paul, why is it worth being an ambassador if it sends you to prison? Because offering people the free invitation to the kingdom of heaven is the greatest honor that could possibly be won. And it is worth my imprisonment. And as Paul proved, and many thousands of people have proved after him, it's even worth my death. Because Christ is just going to raise me up again to live forever with him. So why don't I expend my life being an ambassador for Christ? Being an ambassador is a great honor. There's a lot of reasons why. Let me give you one. Because if there's one thing that people desperately want in this world and cannot get, it's hope. 
and the church is the only institution that offers hope. Many institutions can offer people money, they can offer people friendship, they can offer people pleasure, but all of it ends one day. The church is an institution blessed by God not only to offer people joy, friendship, and pleasure that is purified and holy because of Christ, but it offers all of them it for eternity, forever. Not only is it amazing to be a Christian in this life, it will be perfection to be with Christ forever. Why would you not want to share that? And again, you might ask the question, I've been to church. The church is a mess. And you know what? Maybe you think I'm a Christian and I'm still a mess. I still struggle with sin. I still struggle to have courage to share the gospel with people. And even though I go to church every Sunday and I feel like I'm learning things, it still feels very, very difficult to understand why being a Christian and sharing the gospel is such a great thing. Let me share a quote with you from some gentlemen who wrote a book called Rediscover Church. Their names are Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman, and they said this. Sadly, our churches won't always declare and embody heaven very well. We'll disappoint you, and we'll say insensitive things. We'll even sin against you. Our assemblies are merely signs and foreshadowings of that future heavenly assembly, which means the church isn't heaven but the church does give a taste of heaven. And they continue to say this, yet we aspire to point you to the heart of heaven, who is Christ himself, and he never sins or disappoints. You being an ambassador for Christ is not a call for you to be a perfect Christian. It's not a call for you to never struggle with sin. It's not a call for you to never disappoint anyone ever because you're going to mess up and you're going to disappoint people. I am going to mess up and I am going to disappoint you. Me and no other Christian in your life can be the reason why you are a Christian. Christ is the reason you're a Christian because no matter what the church messes up on, Christ is so faithful that he will not only give you clarity of his goodness, but he will supernaturally hold you to keep believing that he is good. And by his grace, he will also help you continue to live life by connecting you with the true church. Even though the church is a mess and has always been a mess, has made mistakes and will continue to make mistakes, Christ won't. And he has promised to keep the church safe, protected and full of joy. Christ says himself in John chapter two, verse 46, that he has come into this world as light so that whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness. If the kingdom of heaven is so good, then the Lord of that kingdom will not only continue to be a light to you, but he will demonstrate his life chiefly through the church. And again, that's a challenge for you, not to nitpick every issue that's in this church, which you will find that's not that hard, but it's get to the heart of why we're a church. 
And it's not because we're awesome. It's because our God is awesome. And by his grace, he makes us more awesome. Because the reality is, even as you feel convicted by your sin and frustrated by your mess, that's one of the ways that Christ speaks his grace into your life by the free offer of the gospel and makes you to grow like him. That's one of the things the church is here for. Not to make you a more moral person, but to help you be a better ambassador. Someone who's already become a citizen of heaven. All you need to share it is not your perfect testimony, but Christ. So let me close by saying this, because that's a lot of info. Raise your hand if you've heard of a guy named John Newton. Whole bunch of you, right? He was a slave trader. He was a sailor who had a rich testimony of being the farthest thing from a Christian you can imagine. He was enslaved even as a slave himself, and yet it did not change his mind about being a slaver himself. It was only after Christ supernaturally intervened in his life when he was out of storm at sea, when he cried out to God for help, and God saved him, that he recognized, not that he got saved from a storm, but that he could be saved from his sin. And that change was so radical that he not only stopped being a slave trader, but he spent the rest of his life trying to end the slave trade starting in Britain. Now, I bet for the rest of his life, lots of people told him, both citizens of Britain and slaves and former slaves, that he was a hypocrite, that he was just trying to clean his conscience, that he was just trying to make up for all the bad that he could never undo. And even at the end of his life, John Newton didn't try to fight for his own righteousness. Even as he was dying in his bed as an old man who was mostly blind, he said this to anyone who would ask. I only know two things. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Do you know that Christ is a great Savior? Then that involves you understand you are a great sinner. If at any time any of this information hasn't made sense because you don't think the church is very special, it might be because you're not a Christian. You are not a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home. You are not a Christian because you feel like you are better than you were yesterday. You are a Christian because even though deep down you understand with clarity that you deserve hell. Not just for who you are, but because of what you do, because of what you think, and because of what you lack. Yet all of that is washed away for free by Christ and has offered you heaven for free. This is the reality. Live in your citizenship. Let your citizenship in heaven through Christ alone transform the way you live. Let it change your perspective. And most importantly, let it influence the way that you think about the beauty of the church and what we get to do together, what you don't have to do alone. That's why citizenship and being a citizen is an important way to understand the church. Next week, we're going to do family. So let's pray.
Father, that was so many words. That was so many concepts. That was a lot of thinking. And Father, there's no way that I would ever have the ability to explain these things clearly. But the reality is your word is so much better than your people. The clarity that you provide to the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, is supernatural and is so beyond our comprehension. Father, I pray that this idea of citizenship in heaven wouldn't just be one more Christianese thing that we can spout out when people try to test us with our Bible knowledge. Father, I pray that citizenship in heaven is one of these core identity markers that radically changes our life. And Father, it can only do that if you do two things. Father, reveal to us that we are great sinners. That no matter what anyone sees on the outside, you know what's on our insides. You know that we have decided to be our own gods You know that we want to rule our own lives. You know that we love our pleasure and our comfort and our joy so greatly that we would allow it to come at the expense of others. Regardless of what we've done, Father, you know that's in our hearts. And yet, reveal to us the great truth that though we are great sinners, you are a great Savior. Father, all of our sin you have promised you have put on christ who willingly went to the cross that hell would be put on him so that hell would never be put on us and yet also this perfectness this righteous lifestyle that we could never offer you to pay for the joy of eternity your son has already lived that life and as he took our sin he gave us the righteousness we need that one day we might see you face to face forever. Father, let those two great truths radically change us and let it move us not just to live for you, but to live with others who love you. And Father, make our church, make Cornerstone Bible Church a radical demonstration of the gospel. Let us be loud in the truths of the gospel the free redemption offered by Christ alone and not our own awesomeness. Father, let us grow in wisdom and knowledge and righteousness, but let us come back to the humble truth that we are nothing without you. And yet as you have brought us sinful, broken people together, you have made us something incredible. And we pray that the world would see that and be invited into that, that you might save many of your people are out there waiting for even a junior high or high school student to invite them in through the glory of the gospel and to let them see a taste of it in our church. We cannot do that, but you can do that. And Father, we pray that you would, and we're confident that you can and you will more than we could possibly imagine. So we thank you and give this time to you in your name. Amen.